Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, the show where we talk about the greatest team in the land, Watford FC. My name is Matt Messiano, and joining me today is football analyst Jordan Weimer. There's no Tom, but we do have a super sub coming up later on in the programme, Ryan Gray from the Watford Observer. So we're looking forward to when Ryan joins us. But until then, uh, Jordan, well, uh, the game wasn't fantastic yesterday, but uh, there were some positives. Well, I guess we'll, we'll go through the game as it happened. But um, first of all, what's your first uh, summary of, of, of how it went yesterday? Yeah, it's extremely frustrating in the end, wasn't it? I mean, it was, it was a difficult watch. I think there were some promising signs in the first half, but I think, yeah, the, the real word that kind of sums up the feeling after the end of that game is definitely frustration and maybe a bit of anger in there as well. They've kind of become a bit of our um, of our biggest rivals of, of late, haven't they, Bomb? If we've sort of been with them for the last six, seven years and, and we kind of went up together, came down together, we've, we've, we've always uh, had tasty affairs and um and, and yesterday was was no different yeah it kind of it's got that kind of crystal palace feel to it now doesn't it i think yeah we've mm. had some good matches against them and i don't know they've had some good results over us and i think probably both teams both groups of fans probably feel the same way actually we've had good results over each other so it's kind of yeah it's got that edge to it and i always kind of had that you know slight bit of nerves going into a bournemouth game and i think we discussed it in the previous podcast but i think we were kind of all a bit worried about you know, heading into this one where Bournemouth are on a losing streak and looking to bounce back and we're kind of on that winning you know four four game win, win streak and we have a little bit worried we're going to have a little bit of complacency in there but the opposite and I think we maybe saw that yesterday and yeah it was it was really difficult obviously there was some fisticuffs at the end and, and we'll get into that a bit later but if we just look at the game to begin with um it, it well, let's go through it as, as it as it happened. We we started off in the first half, and um, to be honest, we we weren't we weren't terrible. Um, Messina missed a header wide early on, but but we we saw some really good play from Shirauta, stopping Stanislas's goal bound effort to the big man proving again uh, just how important he's been for the Hornets since he's come in. And um, you know, we we were starting to get the ball around. Pedro had a, a header that um, that went just wide as well after some good work from Femini and Sa on the right hand side, and up until sort of. The, the first half within the first half it, it was uh, it wasn't too bad for Watford no not at all I think I think we went there with the the idea to play football and we, we kind of tried to continue some of what we've seen over the last the previous four games which is all positive to see I think we maybe just a little bit a little bit off our tempo I think maybe we we didn't quite have that extra five ten percent we've we've seen in previous games I'm not sure I kind of get the feeling it was maybe a little bit of complacency maybe a little bit of confidence going into into this game and I think even subconsciously it just kind of takes that level down a little bit if you don't quite have that same same intensity to your games so I think we did lack that but the actual fundamentals of what we're doing weren't bad we try to move the ball around we're trying to find some space we just just weren't quite quick enough and I think in a game like that them fine margins are so important if you don't have that extra little edge then it's going to it's going to make it difficult and I think we saw that in the first half I think we all kind of hoped that that second half would maybe be a bit of a an opportunity to kick on and, and raise them levels a little bit more but obviously it didn't didn't quite go that way and it kind of divulged into something a little bit more unorganised and messy in the second half and we never really got got back into it after that yeah, and and Bournemouth started to show that they were coming more into it. Like as the as the first half even started to to roll on, Lloyd Kelly uh, struck a really bending effort, and that, that Dan Backman did really well to save, to be honest, because it was swerving all over the place in the air. And and then in the second half, uh, you know, Bournemouth came out 
pretty buoyant. And 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 Dan Juma tried his luck again, and and Shirata was there was there to block it. And Bournemouth were sort of grabbing hold of of of, of the scruff of this game. Yeah, I feel like in previous matches we've done quite a good job with that midfield too in front of Will Hughes of breaking down the opposition or stopping them building up from from midfield and I think Bournemouth did a good job of avoiding that area of the pitch quite well I think Pearson did a good job in there and he managed to get that ball out wide and that was kind of where they had most of that joy was down their left hand side defend down our right hand side you know just that that Kiko and, and Saar partnership defensively yesterday they got caught out by Dan Juma it was, it was a difficult task for them and yeah he got the better of them in the end and he was their real threat um, over the, the second 45 especially um so yeah, it was, it was frustrating. I think we we could have done better in those situations. We we maybe should have been a little bit more more switched on to, to his threat. Um, but you know he's he's a good player and he managed to exploit that space well. So they did well to uh, find kind of a bit of a weakness in our in our team, um, and we just didn't do a good enough job of kind of exploiting theirs. I think we've we've been quite proficient at coming in with our own plan and sticking to that and and making teams react to us. But I think I think yesterday we were the reactive of the two teams. Probably Watford's best moment of the game was when Saar delivered a nice little ball to Tom Cleverley and Begovic did well to save it. Maybe Cleverley could have done better. Yeah, he didn't quite... I think he's maybe trying to be a bit careful with his left foot hitting across. It's kind of an awkward angle. He just I think maybe played it a little bit safe and went for a bit of placement and just didn't quite have the, the directional power on it, which, yeah, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because if he had the opportunity again, you feel quite confident he'd be able to you know, compose himself and finish, but it was just that kind of... There was so much around that. It was such an important moment. I think he just went for the safe option. It didn't quite come off. As you say, that was good work from Saar and it was uh, probably our best spell um, on the ball. And I think that's what we just didn't quite see enough of um, yesterday. I think we just didn't quite didn't quite play with that aggression in the final third and it didn't really create the opportunities we'd hoped that we'd be able to do um, in, in, against that Bournemouth back line. Well, there was some frailties there. I think if you if you are able to get the ball in the box and, and keep the ball on the floor and kind of pull Bournemouth back line around, if, you know, Cook can be a bit of a... If he, if he gets pulled out, he can be a bit of a liability. We just didn't stretch them enough and I think we just made it a little bit too easy. And then almost moments after that that moment, there was a free kick and it fell very nicely for Dan Jimmer who managed to beat back when it is near post and uh, talk us through that, Jordan. No, I mean you can, yeah, you can make the argument with Backman's save, but you know he's he's been very good, and I think he he kind of tried to cover that space, and he, he probably expected the shot across goal, which I think most of the time you'd see the the forward, the, the opposition opponent forward do, but he he didn't make it, and it's you know it's one of those things. But I think the the, the switching off from the from the defensive line and the set piece defending as a whole, there we were we were quite high up, and we were slow to react, and I think Cathcart was maybe guilty of letting Dan Juma go, and yeah, it was it's really disappointing point and way to concede because we you know them sort of moments you should be you have the time to focus and you have the time to set yourself obviously it's worth noting the fact that um the ridiculousness of the whole situation even coming into that free kick where it started with a foul on Chalber and the free kick was awarded to us and then the melee occurred and only for then for the free kick to be taken by Bournemouth despite it being our free kick which is you know insane at this level of football and obviously costs massively because it led to the goal yeah, I can I can tell you as a, as a referee who's who's done over a hundred games, um, I don't referee anymore these days. But um, yeah, that, that's absolute basics, um, and I, I can't believe that the man in the middle was has not been able to 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 see that he's made a mistake there. I mean, I'm sure retrospectively he's, he's been told by his assessors, and they get assessed at every game at this level of, of refereeing. But um, yeah, it was a, a massive decision that he's made a mistake on there, and, it, and it's it's. Got caught up in all, the, in all the, he got caught up in everything, all the whole melee, and I mean, I'm very surprised that there wasn't just, you know, even the players or one of the coaches or someone is right next, to, right in front of our bench. You'd think there'd be some awareness to the fact that, you know, it was our free kick, um, which <laughs> has a massive impact on the game. It's you know the, the defining goal of the game, so it's really frustrating. But it just shows how wrapped up that everyone got from the sideline to the to the pitch and. You know, we had to, we have to be smarter than that, and you have to be switched on in those situations because you know you'd expect one one person, one player in that situation when we've been awarded the free kick that you know Bournemouth step over it, and then we start going into our defensive shape and dropping back to kind of in our half, and it's just it's not on. And obviously, it's a mistake from the referee. The referee has to do better, but there should be someone able to point that out from our side too. Do you think that's been Munaf's biggest challenge so far that that game against Bournemouth? 
Yeah, I think I think in some ways. Um, I mean, he's obviously played Norwich, hasn't he? But that, and that was his first game. But um, yeah, I, I, I think know. I think in his biggest I think his biggest managerial challenge so far has been that shift leading into the Bristol City game. I think that was a real key moment. I think that was a point of his his managerial career with us where questions were really starting to be asked, and there was a lot of you know a lot of people were were doubting his ability to to get any sort of results for us and show any sort of improvement um, going forward. And I think, you know, a lot of people felt that the ownership was maybe kind of getting closer to, to reassessing the, the head coach position again. So I think that turnaround was a big one. I think it's we can't underestimate that. I know Bristol City were a bad team at the time, but I'd say since then we've, we've made a lot of improvements and I think we should feel a lot better about this, where we currently are as a team. Um, but in terms of an individual game, I think, yes, there was a big one. Um, I do think he maybe, I think he maybe let himself down a little bit in the second half. I think the first half is completely excusable. Um, I think you can understand why that happens, and I think the players have to kind of be a little bit more accountable there. The second half, again, players' application needs to be better, but I do think we we hurt ourselves in in terms of how we manage the game with that, the substitutions and. In a game where it's a one-goal difference, you've got to be switched on. You've got to be proactive with those. Um, I know it's easy to sit here and criticise, you know, on a, on a Sunday and say what happened the day before, but it was very clear that we needed we needed help, and it took too long. And we needed to change things. It didn't come quick enough, and you know, we had we left players on the bench. We had a good bench. We didn't really use it. Yeah, those changes were Lazar on for Messina, um, probably an expected one. He was on a yellow card, sort of direct replacement. Gosling for Chalabar, similar. Um, situation and then Pericha was brought on for Semmer and I suppose in an attempt to try and get back into the game but that was quite late on on the 84th minute I mean like you said there Jordan it's not giving him enough time really to to get into the game no it's not and I, I think we've we've kind of established quite well I'd say most I think almost every what I've spoken to and in a conversation I've seen as well, it seems to be pretty unanimous in the fact that if you're bringing on Steeper Pericha or if you're playing Steeper Pericha, I know he's a he's a six foot plus centre forward, but his game isn't to hold the ball up or win the ball in the air. He's not particularly not particularly dominant in the air at all. I think you want to see that ball to his feet. You you want to use him almost as a, a bit of a poacher in the box. I think we saw probably his best moment in in the in the game against Bournemouth was a ball from the right hand side from Saar and into the near post and he makes a really good run across his man and he gets to the near post and has gets the opportunity to have a shot and it's it's quite unfortunate but it's that sort of position you want him in you don't want to be knocking the ball long to him and I think once he came on as it was the last few minutes of the game I think we maybe went a little bit too early into that kind of direct play up to him and I'd say that's probably a criticism actually of the second half as a whole I think we we went away from our we went away from our game too quickly and we kind of went a little bit too long, went a little bit too direct. And I think we maybe should have just slowed things down and just, it was 1-0, we could have taken the time to kind of get ourselves back into it. Um, as you say, Preacher came on quite late, uh, which didn't help. I think if we had got him on, you know, 70 minutes or so, then you could have, have the opportunity to kind of get him into the game and, and try and work the ball into him in different ways. I think also too, Big frustration as has been for much of the much of the season since January. Um, Philip Zinkenegel wasn't used, and you know I really I just don't understand that. And in that situation, we were struggling to to break them down. Ken Semmer looked shattered on the left hand side. It kind of looked like we could do some extra width. Uh, someone that could come inside and get the ball into players' feet and you know be be a bit more be, be a bit more technical and a bit more direct. But you know playing the ball forwards, and he just sat on the bench. And you know the previous game he was used to come off the bench to hold a lead. So I, I don't understand why that's a fitting situation for him. But when we need to chase a game, he's left on the bench not doing anything. I really don't understand that, um, especially, as I said, when we look quite fatigued in that forward line. So I think that can be, that's probably the biggest criticism of uh, Shishko for yesterday. I think apart from that, it's, you know, it, it's difficult to, it's just difficult to wrap your head around why he's not being used. Who played well in in the game in a Watford shirt, um, Jordan? I mean, I think Sorrelta probably had a decent game. Yeah, Sorrelta had a decent game. I think Kiko wasn't quite up to his best. I think he maybe he maybe looked a little bit more exposed than he has done previously. So I struggled to say Kike. Uh, Kike, Kike. Kiko, um, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't particularly outstanding performance. I'd say Pedro played fine, but again, no one really kind of no one really stood out. I, I think that was a problem. I think we've seen in recent games we've seen players able to kind of 
impose themselves a little bit more and, and, and have a bigger impact on the game and, and get involved. And I mean, I don't just mean that in a physical sense. I mean, Pedro's able to come back and pick up the ball and Saar's running at his man and everyone's being a little bit more, just a little bit sharper. I think yesterday we all played a little bit within ourselves. I think we kind of maybe just dropped off a little bit and, and kind of expected the players around us to kind of take on that next step and no one really took responsibility I know it's all very cliched but I, I do think it it happens especially on the back of a winning run it's it's difficult to to keep those levels up because you kind of get that slight even if it's that five percent of complacency can can really kill momentum I think yesterday we suffered from that and it's hard to say there was one real standout good performance that I can think of off the top of my head there are a couple of bad ones in there but yeah I think a lot of players just played at a a very average level and that wasn't good enough to beat a team that's very competitive and wants to beat you. Um, Daniel Backman came in for a bit of criticism on Twitter uh, after this game. Uh, what was your uh, opinion of, of, of the goalkeeper yesterday, Jordan? Uh, I think that's quite undeserved for me. Um, he, he, like, he didn't save one shot, but the reason... The reason the shot got to him in the first place, the problems for me, keepers are going are gonna, to not going to save everything. I think for the most part, he was pretty good. He made a couple of good saves early on. He came off his line very quickly. Um, he's done that in the last couple of games. He's been quite proactive there. I thought he did fine from set pieces in general. Um, yeah, he, he doesn't deserve the criticism for me. I thought or Again, I thought his possession was good. He was able to clip the ball out to the full-backs and keep possession. I've got no criticisms of uh, Daniel Backman at the moment. I think he's been... I think he's been very good since he's come in and um, look, goalkeeper's going to make mistakes or, or not save shots. You have to accept that. And for the most part, he's been very consistent in that area. So for me, I've got no problems with uh, with Daniel Backman. What about you? Because I know, I know you've obviously had some thoughts on him too. Yeah, I, I mean, in my opinion, he's been a bit of a revelation since he's come in. He's done very, very well. He's, um, you know, been clocking up the clean sheets. Today... Um, Look, he got beat at his near post and, and goalkeepers will tell you, you know, forever that that is one place they don't want to get beat. And he'll be disappointed by that. But goalkeepers will let goals in. That is that is a case of, of being a goalkeeper. And, you know, it's up to the rest of the team to try and help your keeper stop those uh, attacks even, even forming. In which case, I feel like this was, um, you know, a very good example of that. The, you know, Danjima was able to get away very quickly. Um, and you know we didn't track that run I mean yes it shouldn't have been a free kick in the first place but that's a different story um, you have to play to the whistle even if you know the whistle is wrong and you have to try and you know defend the best you can back when yes should have made the save but um, you know he, he he didn't have a terrible game he, he made some um, good saves at other points in the game stopping another Danjima effort earlier on in the game and, um, and also that um very testing effort that came in from Kelly. So yeah, he you know he didn't know his best game, but he certainly didn't do anything for me that, that suggested that he should be dropped in in favour of um, well it would be Elliot, wouldn't it? That that would come in and um, you know considering that Elliot hasn't really played much football lately, I, I feel a lot more confident in um, in Backman playing. When Foster is back to full fitness, it will be a different situation. I'm not sure who's going to get the gloves. I mean. My, my gut instinct tells me that Foster might get it back, but um, my head tells me that maybe Backwin should be retained in as the number one because obviously he's the future and, and we need to you know look to the future as much as I, I love Foster and I think he's a, a fantastic goalkeeper. Backwin offers differences to, 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 to the Watford side that will be particularly useful going forward if we're going to be playing out from the back more often because he can cope with that better than Foster, I think. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said. I think um, there's obviously going to be an argument for Foster, but there's there's every reason to keep Backman in. Just just on the goal, as a goalkeeper yourself, um, when <laughs> a poor goalkeeper, <laughs> when he's coming into that situation there where Jan, Dan Dream is kind of running down at him, and he's he's got that that near post slightly exposed. I mean, I still feel like he's doing what he can to to keep that covered. You know, the, the kind of the position that a goalkeeper will, will take when they're kind of coming out and they'll. They'll mm. position their body and contort their body in a way to try and cover every space possible. He's kind of got that knee, he's got that right leg kind of shifted out. He's got his arms the right too, which is kind of trying to cover that low shot. Generally, you're kind of expecting that low driven shot at that near post if it's going to be taken. And he's kind of spreading himself to account for that. He seems, maybe he's a maybe his positioning is a little bit 
a little bit wider of the post than you'd want. But I think he's doing a, a, a decent job of trying to cover that space. It seems to me that just the shot kind of just fell in the, the perfect place to kind of get through that 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 position that he was in. Um, mm. I don't think it was necessarily a situation of him being very out of position and and you know being complacent in his goal. I think it was just kind of a, a slight bit of misfortune plus a little bit of, of bad positioning or not bad positioning, just slightly off position. I don't think it was a necessarily a howler or anything like that by any means. Mm. And John Marks in his commentary also mentioned a bobble. Um, I'm not sure if I saw too much of a bobble, but he said there was one and, and you know, that, you know, that, that always helps the, uh, the attacker in those situations because the, uh, that the bubbles are very difficult to deal with when when you're a goalkeeper it can send the ball all over the place so yeah I mean just for me personally I think if you're going to talk about any player being dropped from the game yesterday I think Daniel Backman would be so far down that list for me I don't think he did anything to deserve that sort of criticism especially I mean if anyone's actually genuinely talking about dropping Backman when Foster's not even back then I I don't even know what to say because that's just absurd to me Towards the end of the game, there was a whole separate uh, boxing match almost that uh, took place between um, several members of, of both playing teams. I thought Bournemouth's discipline was... I mean, look, we've come to expect a few things from Bournemouth over the years. They're kind of... They've mastered the dark arts under Eddie Howe and they'd be, you know, time-wasting, diving very soft and it's a very frustrating sort of sort of team to play against. But, you know, they're, they're trying to get a competitive edge. So you can you can understand that to an extent. I thought yesterday there's a few things in the, in, in the team from them that were just a bit, just just below the levels you expect from, from athletes. You know, you kind of, you would hope they'd be better just just as people and, and sportsmen, really. I mean, Lewis Cook kicking the ball at the lino after a decision not given to him. Very strange how he didn't get punished for that. I've got no idea. He just blatantly just kicks the ball at him. So petulant and petty. Um, and then, you know, not long after that, Jack Wilshere shouting, like, shouting the swearing in the ref's face. And he, he didn't get any punishment for it. I know he eventually got sent off, which is good. I'm sure maybe his actions previous, previously earlier in the game to the referee maybe kind of led him to wanting that opportunity to have a, a reason to send him off although I mean I don't see how shouting in the guy's face isn't a reason to send him off in the first place I think it's quite quite disgusting from the player and I think that sort of attitude just you know it just reeks isn't it it's, it's no place for it at all and then when it comes to Jefferson Lerma I mean I, I think it's one of the most embarrassing individual performances I've seen from a, from a player I think we could have done better. I think we could have handled it better. You know, you know what he's like going into this game. It's not a new, it's not a new thing from Lerma. It's not, it's not something we shouldn't be aware of. We should be, we should be above it. We should, we should try and expose it as a team for what it is and don't react to it. I, I think that's it's difficult to expect that from players in a heated situation. We, it's a competitive environment that we want to win, and it's a bit of a derby. But you know, he won that. He he won that game for them in some ways. He he got us off our stride and he he affected us. And it's the it's the worst kind of behaviour from a from a football player. It's the most embarrassing kind of behaviour. But we've got to be better. And then obviously that fight that broke out, Jao Pedro gets a second yellow card. A little bit of naivety from him. It was I think it was a second yellow. He, he comes in at a bad time, and you know he, he asks for that decision to be made. And then as as that's all going off, you see just in the bottom of your screen, Jefferson Lerma walks past and just gives Tom Cleverley a push. And it's he's doing it to wind him up. And he's doing it to get a reaction. He does, and obviously the whole brawl breaks out, and the sidelines are involved. I think no one covered themselves in glory there. I think it was all a bit embarrassing. But you know, at the same time, it it maybe is a you can maybe I think maybe the fans can at least relate to it a little bit. At least we're seeing a reaction. Um, you're seeing that there's there's some there's some fight from the team, and it means something to them. And I think that's something that maybe was lacking a little bit. But I think you can clearly see that. And if I had to say anything to take away from that game yesterday as a positive, um, I, I think that that reaction and, and the way that the team kind of you know fought together and they they got involved and they were all extremely frustrated and angry, but they they all fought for each other there and they wanted to get into that situation and confrontation. They wanted to. to to be there with the teammates and I think maybe if you can take anything away from it it's that they have to learn from that and maybe that will be a kind of a rally call for them to to be more competitive and to be more switched on I'm not saying to be more aggressive more physical but to not to not switch off and to not let yourself get complacent in these situations because you're going to have to fight 
in games for the rest of the season we have to keep them levels and I think maybe that anger and that frustration that hopefully will, will take will take away more of a, a professional outlook on the rest of the season that's a bit of a long rant there but <laughs> well uh, sometimes in football uh, we, we talk about super subs and we've got our very own super sub here in uh, in Ryan from the uh, Watford Observer who's who's joining us this afternoon, Ryan, um, he was obviously at the game yesterday. Um, what, what was your view of the uh, the sort of um, the coming together between the two teams? Um, my 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 actual view from the the stands wasn't a great one, to be honest. I was right at the other the other side of the pitch, so it was just sort of a a bit of a you know like in in the Beano where it was like a cloud and and hands and feet poking <laughs> out every now and then. It was something uh, something akin to that from from where I was sitting. Um, but so I didn't really get a, a good view of it. Um, the what I did get a good view of though was the the press conference afterwards, and it was interesting to see the the two different managers and and the way they both sort of um, looked at the the situation. Not, I mean, neither of them were particularly uh, condemning of it, which I thought was quite interesting. Cisco just said um, that it was something that happened when he was a player, and he can understand it. And sometimes, you know, tempers do flare, whereas. Uh, Jonathan Woodgate was saying that he um, it was just he, he described it as a tiny fracas, which I think is sort of underplaying it a little bit, and then um, said that he was pleased to see his his players sticking up for one another and and fighting for the cause. So it was it was really interesting to to see that at the end of the game. Usually, you know, you'd get um, people sort of condemning it on both sides, but whereas I think they were a bit more relaxed about the whole thing. I think Woodgate, uh, he related it to rugby, didn't he, in some way? He did, yeah. He said, um, if you see rugby players doing it, no one no one mentions it. Whereas because it's football players, um, you know, it's it, it gets blown out of proportion. And, you know, I think the point he's missing there is that that basically is what happens in a game of rugby. <laughs> Whereas in football, it sort of tends to be a lot less physical. It's also a much more respectful game in general as a whole, the way that sport's played out. It's... It's just a weird comparison to make. It's kind of very irrelevant to the actual fight at hand, isn't it? Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I mean, there's the, you know, the the way rugby players and football players talk to the referees is, you know, it's chalk and cheese. It's very very different. I thought that was something that obviously it was quite evident from from Bournemouth in terms of Jack Wilshere shouting the ref's face and even uh, Lewis Cook kind of kicking the kicking the ball into the lineup as well and just a lot of petulant quite petty behaviour from from Bournemouth in general which was a shame and obviously Jefferson Lerma kind of you know there's plenty of things to touch on there but it was just a quite a disappointing display from from a team it kind of ruined the game a little bit from from that perspective for me yeah it did and it it was clear that it was you know something they'd they'd worked on sort of I mean I I think from a footballing perspective they did a good job of frustrating Watford in the game and on the ball and it was something that they clearly looked at and thought, well, you know, we can frustrate them on all areas of the pitch and, and in all aspects of the game. And, you know, off the ball, they were doing a, a really good job to, to get the Watford players wound up in as, as many different ways as they possibly could. And obviously, you know, it's uh, it's not a, a great way to, to win a game of football, but I guess, you know, it proved effective in the end. Ryan, you saw the um, the last four victories for Watford and, and how they were playing. Did they bring the same kind of uh, intensity into this game? And, and what, what for you felt different or off? Because there was something about the Watford performance against Bournemouth that wasn't quite up to the the, the high standards they'd been setting previously. Well, from the start, I mean, the, the, the opening 10 minutes, I thought they were very good. And I thought they did have that intensity and, and attacking threat. You know, I think... Adam Messina should do better with that header in the sort of the opening three minutes. But then it was interesting talking to Cisco after the match because he he pinpointed he he said that there was a problem with creativity and that the they didn't create as many chances as they have in previous matches. And I asked him why that was, and and he said, well, Bournemouth sat a bit deeper than the teams we've played recently, and they invited the pressure and. They didn't allow us any space in behind, and so we were forced out wider than we normally are. And you know, I think it's it's good that he can see why they're not creating as much. But I think perhaps there's a question there of why was he not maybe a bit more proactive with his substitutes, or why was he not, you know, changing things around when it was quite prevalent and quite obvious that those problems were there. Yeah, on, on that, Ryan. Um, in terms of playing out wide, I thought 
generally we've seen in in the last four four games or so that Will Hughes sitting a little bit deeper and then cleverly and whether it's Gosling or Chalaber kind of have that license to press and make it difficult for build, build up from the opposition. I thought yesterday Bournemouth did quite a good job of avoiding that and playing them wide areas. I think we could have done a better job of um, of exploiting those those wide areas ourselves. I thought maybe that right hand side wasn't quite as, as potent as it had been. Um, but did, what what are your thoughts on on how we didn't introduce Zinchenko at any point and kind of that that situation as a whole? It's kind of been a little bit of a point of frustration for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree, and it was it was something that I was talking to you know the people at the game there yesterday. We were saying you know maybe it's because I, I didn't think Ken Sammer had a particularly exciting game. He was quite quiet, and I thought you know maybe it was a, a good opportunity to to give Zinkenegel maybe half an hour to to get him you know really sort of running at, at Lloyd Kelly and and causing problems. Um, but then the substitutions that he did make, I think, were you know they were like for like. It was. Um, Gosling on for Chalobah, Lazar for um, Messina, and then okay, Peritza comes on at the end with five minutes to go. But by then, you know the game had pretty much already gone, and so you you do think that there's maybe a learning curve for him there to to look at who he has on the bench and see how mm. they can affect the game rather than just going like for like. Because he, if you look at the substitutes in his previous games, he, he is very much a, a like for like. You know, with his substitutions, that's that's what he tends to do instead of maybe changing things around and working out where there is space that, that they can exploit that, you know, one of the players on the bench can maybe do better than those on the pitch. Were there signs of were there signs of other players kind of preparing to come on at any point? Did it look like we that he was maybe considering options and, and had different options warming up and the likes of, you know, Gray and Zinc and Nigel and stuff were they kind of being prepared to come on he was just deciding or was it a case of it was very much just the subs that came on were obviously the kind of subs he was intending and there was no real activity apart from that from the TV it was difficult to kind of get an idea of what we were planning to do yeah I mean so it, I guess it's difficult to say because they all warm up more or less at the yeah. same time or you know two will come in and then they'll go back down and then another two or three will go out um, so in terms of what his plans were i I'm not really in a position to say. What I would say is um, I think the Chalaba substitution was one that maybe had to be made because he was someone, I think, who definitely allowed the, the situation to get the better of him and he was getting sucked in and I think he was treading a, a tightrope. You know, he's he's suspended now as a result of his yellow card as well. But I think, um, you know, he's he's a player who was risking a, a second yellow because of, you know, how involved he was getting. Um mm. And so I did think that was maybe one that Munoz would perhaps not have done, but in the end had to just because of the the situation. Mm. When Gosling came on, did he um did he improve the game when he when he replaced Chalabar? I think he fit in where Chalabar had been playing, and I don't think Chalabar had a particularly bad performance. But I think what happened was the way the way Bournemouth pressed and the the way Bournemouth you know did defend a lot of the time. Hughes and Cleverly were having to to make tackles off the ball and then they weren't because they'd been chasing back to to try and retrieve the ball they weren't in a position to then attack as best as they could and I think they weren't able to bring Chalaber into the game as well from you know from going back and, and retrieving the ball and then trying to get back on the front foot they weren't in the best positions to attack and I think Gosling didn't make a huge amount of difference from from what I could see um you know he's he has done well and he's adapted to games well. And I think that is something that Munoz, you know, prefers in him rather than Zinkenagel is that he seems to be able to adapt to a game a lot quicker. Zinkenagel, when he's come off the bench previously, he, he has had a bit of difficulty adapting to the rhythm of the game. And I think it'll be interesting to see if Zinkenagel is given a chance from the start rather than as a substitute, how, how much more influence he can he can have on a match? Has Munoz responded um, very much? Has he been asked many questions in regards to Zinchenko himself, or is it kind of just something that's not really been brought up too many times? It's it's been brought up, and and every time he, he more or less says the same thing that he's uh, you know he he talks about how much of a an exciting player he is, and and does talk up his talent, but he a is you know he's concerned that maybe he's not adapted to England and to, to life in the country and and to uh, the you know there's 
all this talk of, of in Norway, he spent a lot of time playing on plastic pitches. And, and I mean, I'd, to what degree that will affect him, I think is, you know, quite nebulous because obviously it'll have some impact, but then, you know, he's also a professional footballer. It's, mm. it, surely it can't have that much of an impact. And then he also talks about the form and, and I guess it's something you perhaps can maybe look at now they've had a defeat, but before then, you know, he was saying, well, the players who are in the 11 at the minute are there because they're performing really well and I don't want to tinker too much because I don't want to affect the form, which I suppose yeah. is, is understandable. It's, it's, it's strange, you know, isn't it? Because they look so tired in that front. Th- like, Ken Semmer and, and Ismail Sarr have racked up so many minutes and I think the last couple of games, especially, Ken Semmer's looked very tired. Um, and even previous to that form, we had the situation of Will Hughes playing out wide at one point when, when Semmer wasn't available. So it's just a very strange situation. It's kind of one where you feel like... I know we're getting an answer and it's obviously if you know you're going to get a certain answer it's not worth kind of pressing the question with, with Cisco himself but it is one that seems like there's more there's more to it it's just really hard to kind of put your finger on, on what that is because I think we've seen that he is a capable player even from the, the spells he's had on he's maybe taken a little bit of time to adapt but I think we've still seen some, some good moments from him it, it's just a, kind of a weird a weird situation when you have a player that's, that's there that you feel like can contribute in some way and they're kind of left out in the cold a little bit yeah I th- you know I I understand that. And I think, you know, there was a lot of excitement about him when he came in and, you know, you look at his goal scoring record last season and, you know, you think, well, if we've got a player who has that capability and obviously there's not the expectation that he will replicate that because the championship's a lot more difficult than the Norwegian football. But yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I think it is one that there is more to that perhaps they're not, you know, divulging as, as much as they could. But we're in a situation now where, you know, Edbure's suspended for the next game. Chalaba's suspended for the next game. You know, is is Wednesday night perhaps a chance for Munoz to to look at the players who he has available and think, well, how can I, you know, try and get them involved, try and get them contributing, and try and generate a bit of uh, a bit of competition for the players who who are involved as well. And you know, if if he can get the players who are on the bench at the moment performing as well as the players who are on the pitch, then it gives him license to rotate a bit more because you know if everybody's playing as well as they can then it gives them that option but it also you know shows the players who are on on the pitch that there there is competition for the places and also that you know if if they do want to have a rest they don't need to constantly say look I'm available and I, I want to play every single game because I think it's reasonable to expect that they they can't play two games a week for the rest of the season yeah I think I think yesterday again with with that in mind I feel like uh, it would have been a perfect opportunity for Domingos Quina again yesterday to kind of bring someone different off the bench in a in a, in a game with that kind of more aggressive pressing front uh, midfield two in front of Hughes wasn't really working it would have been good to have another option so I think that's another example of um, just maybe our our management of our players and just kind of our squad building it's a, it's, it feels like a situation where we kind of we've kind of lessened the quality of our team a little bit and we're not quite it doesn't feel like we're quite using our assets at, at a level where we maybe would want to have or want to be doing in, in, in games we could do with a, a different option or an alternative. And I think that's maybe a little bit frustrating to me personally. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and there are, you know, questions about the, the January transfer window and, you know, I suppose whether or not the business was, was good or bad will, you know, ultimately depend on, on how the season finishes. Um, at the minute, it looks like perhaps they let a couple more people go than they ought to have, um, mm. particularly, you know, Queener. Being being an attacking midfield option, especially when, you know, Hughes, Chalibur and Cleverly are playing every single game at the minute, you think, you know, there is scope there for, for other players to get involved and, and you know Gosling brings experience and and a level head and he, he knows this league pretty well but you, there is definitely I think a bit of room for an attacking midfield player for what it's worth with Keener though I think he he struggled a bit in the games that he played earlier on and maybe the, the club looked at that and thought he would benefit from some time out. In terms of um, the striker that uh... Munoz turned to to try and uh, change the game. He went for Pericha. Do you expect Pericha to come in for Jao Pedro, knowing that Pedro will be absent against Wickham, or do you think instead he'll 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 go for Gray, who's perhaps more of a direct replacement in terms of the kind of output that um, you know Pedro's deployed as? 
I, th- I think it's you know it's it's up for debate. He, he brought Parizza on the other day, and he has he's brought both Parizza and Gray on from the bench in recent weeks. So it you know it, it's interesting to see what he'll do. Um, I would probably expect Andre Gray over Parizza to start, but that's that's just me hedging a guess. Um, you know I, he he could well use Parizza instead. It's you know it's it's what he sees on the training ground between now and, and Wednesday that ultimately I think will inform his decision. Do you think that Semmer might be rested as well, given that um, his performance lately haven't been up to the same standard that we saw a few weeks ago? He could well be. Um, it, you know, he's, he's a difficult manager to second guess, Munoz. And I think Semmer might have been rested had he not scored the winning goal against Blackburn. I think, you know, it's, it's always difficult to rest someone mm after they have that kind of impact on a game. But, I mean, it's it's something that he may well look to. And I, I asked him about, you know, the the impact that those suspensions will have on his team. And he said, look, it's an opportunity now for some of the players who haven't been getting game time to go and prove that they need to be playing a bit more regularly. And so whoever he does pick, I, I agree, has a, a big opportunity to maybe force their way into the team and, and try and show, I think, to show Munoz as well that they can play because I think Munoz, the way he's been picking his team, it's been one player rotated. He's, he's very cagey about making any significant changes because, you know, if something isn't broke, don't fix it. But then, you know, it, you need to, to maintain it as well. And I think he's been perhaps a little afraid of making changes that could jeopardise the the rhythm and the team spirit that he talks about a lot. And I think it's a chance for him to have a look at those players and learn who is ready to step up. And so then in the future, he can think about which changes and which rotations he wants to make to make sure all of his players are available and all of his players are playing. And he's making the, the best use of his squad in order to, you know, not have players exhausted. Jordan, what would you like to see on Wednesday night? I, I mean, first and foremost, I'd like to see us trying to continue continue playing the kind of new style of football we've been looking at and just pressing ahead with that kind of identity we're starting to build. And I think we tried to do that in the first half, as we said earlier, we tried to do it in the first half against Bournemouth yesterday. I've lost our way a little bit in the second and we started to try and chase the game. But I think if we can go in with the same approach, I think we're going to have to be patient. We're going to be quite stubborn. So I think it's all about um, trusting that process and just continuing on with that in a, in a positive fashion because there's still plenty to be positive about and we have the talent to, to break down Wickham. It's just going to be a case of um, being patient at home and, and looking for that space. And I think if we get the personnel right, if we get the team selection right, then there's no reason we can't we can't do that. Ryan, I'm not sure if you saw this, but um, Wickham uh, a few weeks ago came out of a statement saying that they were they were they were thoroughly expecting to stay up in the championship despite being so many points off. I think about 11 points off safety at the minute. Uh, is that just a, the chairman backing his side and, and saying that you know he, he you know he's he's backing the manager basically? Yeah, I mean it's uh, when you're in situations like that, football clubs have to be as positive as they can. You know they can't exactly be doom and gloom and you know mathematically it's entirely possible that they could stay up but there's a, a lot of work for them to do if um if they're going to uh, if they're going to avoid the drop and i think this wednesday night is is probably too much of a uh, ask for them if if as uh, as jordan said if if watford get the personnel right and if they continue playing with the positivity and and the confidence that they have been then there's every reason that they can uh, they can bounce back what what would be a, a real setback is if you know if they were to lose and and allow their heads to drop because that's the one thing I think they really can't do. There's a lot of um, positivity been picked up from the the four games prior to Bournemouth and they were learning to they were starting to play with an identity which they hadn't been doing you know right from the beginning of the season they'd been you know kind of without that completely and they've really developed into a, a cohesive unit playing in a way that they expect and and um i think it was it was either munoz or i think it was ikong we spoke to both of them before um before bournemouth i'm pretty sure it was trista kong said that um they're now just focusing on what they can do in a game rather than spending too much time looking at their opposition and worrying about what they're going to do they they're just focusing on their own game and how they can affect things and I think that's a really positive way of, of going about things at the minute because they have got the quality to 
certainly in my opinion to be any team in the league and they just need to make sure that they get their game plans right um so you know wednesday night it's it's important for them to move on very quickly from saturday and and just play their game and and do what they can do you know to the best of their ability and i think they'll be fine any uh, final comments from you jordan yeah i think we can't be too complacent um You'd rather still, if you had to miss Pedro and, and Chab, you'd rather it be this game than, say, the Bournemouth game. But, I mean, you, it just depends. I think a lot of it depends. For me personally, and I'm sure for a lot of others, how we feel on this exclusion of Pedro will really depend on who he's replaced with. Um, I, I think it'll be a really... If, if Andre Gray was to be used in this game, I think it'd be an incredibly difficult game for him. Um, we saw at Wickham how how they'll play against us I don't think there'll be anything different playing at Vicarage Road they're going to be compact they're going to try and frustrate us and they're going to look to capitalise on, on the opportunities they have and that will mean a, a deep defensive line a deep midfield and they'll try to make make that space very compact and hard to hard to get the ball into and I think Andre Gray is not the sort of player that's going to be you know working off the back line looking for space with his back to goal getting the ball into feet I think he obviously wants to be a player that can can be on that break and try and isolate defenders and getting them one-on-one one-on-one situations kind of chasing the ball down and, and being a nuisance in that manner so there's not going to be much of that for him um, against Wickham I think it's definitely a situation you'd want to see Stipe Pericha in um, and then in terms of Chalibur I think Gosling is going to be the natural replacement there there's not really too many other options right now so I think you'll see Gosling in there which is which is fine and then we've got to make decisions on some, on some other players we've we've kind of switched around the centre-backs a little bit and I'm sure we've got some fatigue in there Ken Semmer and, and Ismail Asara played a lot of minutes uh, you'd really hope to see one of those rested I think uh, you got Zinkenagel that would be a perfect opportunity for him as a more technical player someone that can can be quite patient and look to kind of find that space in, in that Wickham defence and, and, and midfield um, we need them sort of players we're going to have to be patient in our build up and I'm, I'm hoping that we can we can find a way to do that yeah and if we if we can finish on uh on one final positive, Ryan, before we before we go, um, you know, yesterday wasn't a, a six nil hammering. It was it was a one nil defeat um, against a decent side away from home. You know, Watford have been performing pretty decently of late, and, and maybe the performance wasn't quite up there, but there were certainly some encouraging signs yesterday that um, you know that they're still playing in the in the right way for 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 good periods of of the game, and um, you know, it should be. You know, expected that they can they can carry that on against Wickham on Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we all know that they've had problems away from home, and you know that sort of reared its head again yesterday. But as you said, it wasn't a, a complete battering, and there were one or two moments that you know Messina's header, Cleverly's shot in the second half. You know, a bit of a bit of luck and a bit of fortune, and, and Watford come away with a different result, and then. You know, the, the goal itself came from a contentious moment with the referee changing the way uh, that he'd given the free kick for for whatever reason. Um, so, you know, it's it's it is small margins and it wasn't it wasn't by any means an awful performance. It wasn't great, but you know, there's they're against a, a team who are pushing to, to get back into the playoffs and pushing to try and get promoted as as Watford are. You know, it was never going to be a, a really simple game and I think Wednesday is a, a perfect opportunity for them to just get it out of their system and go in and, and start another a winning streak and give themselves something to build on. Was Chisco asked about that moment? The uh, the free kick? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's very uh, respectful of referees um, and he did say, you know, refereeing is a, a very tough job and he didn't want to criticise the referee, but he did say that he felt that particular moment was, you know, the difference. And he said, you know, it, it can be one decision or 10 seconds just something that you know a referee does for you know a split second in a game that can ultimately change the outcome of the match and he he said that it's a difficult job when we knew it was going to be a difficult game um he wasn't too angry about it he wasn't annoyed he just said it's it's one of those things that happens in football sometimes you have a bit of luck and and you know he he said that he's waiting for the luck to fall his way now because it's gone against him you know he's He's a relentlessly positive man and, you know, you can either see that as a good thing or, or a bad thing. It certainly makes him a lot nicer to deal with than some of the other people. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure your interview technique has changed a bit compared to Ivic. Well, yeah, and for, well, I, I never I never found Ivic, you know, he, he was quite a stony-faced guy, but he was he was never negative or, or harsh or, or angry. But, you know, there's there are people who 
who do lose their temper very quickly. And Munoz is certainly not one of those people. He's relentlessly upbeat, and and I think you know he he's always very quick to say, look, we've even even when they they won six nil or or you know the the games they they did win, you know he would say, right, we're going to have a beer to celebrate. We're going to dwell on it for twenty minutes and and think about what we've done, and then as soon as that 20 minutes is over we're focusing on the next game and uh, I think he's you know already you know have taken what he needed to from the game looked at it looked at where they made the mistakes where they could have done better and and he'll be talking the the players through that and as part of his game plan focusing on Wickham I know um, when we spoke to Trusta Kong before uh, before the game at Bournemouth he said that each player has their own video analyst and they spend about an hour looking over the, the game you know positive negatives what they did right what they didn't do right and you know they'll have they'll have done that or they'll be doing that tomorrow and then you know it's 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 all eyes on Wickham after that I imagine Pearson is probably one of those managers that you have to be very careful about your questions <laughs> yeah he um occasionally if, if you got him in the in a bad mood then uh, he uh, he wasn't the best to deal with but he um in terms of giving you an answer you'd get a good 10 minutes for every question you asked him so he uh it was swings and roundabouts, certainly, with, with Pearson. Mm. And he's back in football now uh, as a manager of Bristol City. He is, and he, he did Watford a bit of a favour, actually, yesterday, didn't he? Beating uh, beating Swansea in his, uh, his first game. So, mm. um, no, all, uh, all credit to him. Thanks, Nigel. <laughs> OK, good stuff. Well, well, thanks to Jordan. Also, Ryan Gray for popping in and joining us this afternoon. You can find those guys on Twitter, at Jordan Weimer and at Observer Ryan. We'll be back again to chat after the Wickham game, so until then, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And from Jordan, Ryan and myself, it's goodbye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 